Welcome to the Monitor Daily Podcast. It's Friday, February 23rd. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mark Sappenfield. And I'm Caitlin Babcock. I love the Danish concept of hygge. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Contributor Samantha Liney Perfas talks about it today. In a word, it's the coziness we feel being at home. But I also love that Sam challenges us to expect more. That feeling of safety and radiant comfort should expand into more than candles and winter nights by the fire. In some ways, Huga is simply a measure of world progress, the product of a secure, balanced, meaningful life. We can help not so much by seeking Huga, but by spreading it. For our selection of top news briefs from the wire services today, please go to csmonitor.com daily. Now today's monitor stories. Our first story. How has Lehman, a battered community in eastern Ukraine, endured two years of a war that never feels far away? Children need a secure routine. Services need to be restored. Yet everywhere still is uncertainty. Lehman, a sprawling railway hub in eastern Ukraine, was occupied for four months by Russian troops and then liberated in October 2022 during a sweeping Ukrainian counterattack. But war never left Lehman's doorstep, with the active front often less than 10 miles away. As Ukrainians grimly mark the two-year anniversary of the Russian invasion, the cataclysmic abnormality brought by the war has become an uneasy new normal. And Lehman, whose mayor talks about step-by-step rebuilding the city, amid a steady drumbeat of distant and not-so-distant explosions, is emblematic of a nation caught in limbo. The most stressful and unpleasant feeling is when the fighting is intensifying around the city, and you realize what scale of responsibility you are bearing for the children and other lives, says schoolteacher Ola Letenko, who has taught at the same school for 34 years. Of course, it is stressful to cope with that, she says. But at the same time, having children here is a factor that helps us cope. They are by their nature hopeful. They want to come here. They want to see their friends and dream about what they will become in the future. And that helps me personally get through it. This story was reported by Scott Peterson in Lehman, Ukraine for The Monitor. The war in Ukraine has tallied massive costs in lives, money, and materiel, not just for the combatants, Ukraine and Russia, but also for much of the world. It will take years before restoration is even within reach. As of February 24th, it has been two years since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The military, human, and economic toll of the war has been immense. While the front line has not moved dramatically in recent months, Both sides are losing soldiers and weapons. Military casualties are shrouded in secrecy, but analysts put the death toll at more than 60,000 combined, and likely much higher. At least 10,000 civilians have been killed, according to United Nations figures, the bulk of those deaths in free and occupied Ukraine. The war has delivered a devastating blow to Ukraine's infrastructure and economy. 
Russia has shown remarkable resilience despite punitive sanctions. Russia made only modest battlefield gains in 2023, while Ukraine struggled to reverse territorial losses. Buoyed by oil money, Russian President Vladimir Putin remains determined to annex southern and eastern Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky aspires to retake all lost territory, including Crimea, which Russia seized in 2014. Neither a ceasefire nor negotiations are in sight. The war seems likely to grind on. For a game-changing breakthrough, Ukraine needs beefed-up support from the West. But that is not a given amid increasing resistance from right-wing politicians during a big election year for the United States and the European Union. This story was reported by Dominique Segal for The Monitor. Go to csmonitor.com daily to see a graphic illustration by Jake Turcotte. Judging by polls, Nikki Haley has little hope of pulling off a primary win in her home state. At present, Donald Trump's sway over the party is too large. But she is taking a longer view. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley faces the prospect of a resounding defeat in her home state of South Carolina, where polls show her trailing former President Donald Trump by 20 points or more. Nevertheless, she's already shrugging it off, insisting she's in the race for the long haul. Dropping out would be the easy route, the former South Carolina governor said in a recent campaign speech, noting that another 21 states and territories will vote over the next 10 days. I've never taken the easy route. And in this highly unusual and unpredictable campaign season, some say Ms. Haley actually has good reasons to keep her candidacy going. They range from a controversial frontrunner whose legal woes present a potential threat to his campaign, to Ms. Haley's success in raising money, to a political environment in which many voters say they're hungry for candidates other than the two major party frontrunners. Political rules hit the fan as soon as Donald Trump got into the race, says Dave Wilson, a South Carolina GOP strategist. If you're the backup quarterback and something happens, guess who the coach is going to put into the game? This story was reported by Story Hinckley in Irmo, South Carolina, for The Monitor. When our cultural commentator touched down in New York's Harlem for a walking tour, He found the touchstones of Black history palpable, abundant, and inspiring. Reporting ahead of a major exhibition on Harlem's 1920s Renaissance, he joined our podcast to talk about the Harlem of today. Often, understanding the then calls for exploring the now. That's what took Ken Macon, the Monitor's cultural commentator, to New York's 125th Street and the blocks around it on a Soul of Harlem walking tour in advance of an exhibition on the Harlem Renaissance, opening February 25th at New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art. I was able to take Harlem in, Ken says on the Monitor's Why We Wrote This podcast. The period around 1925, the focus of the Met Show, represents a period of renewal, of self-respect, and of self-dependence among Black people. Ken says he picked up on how that agency endures today, and is celebrated in both the iconography of modern Harlem and its people. It's just this great appreciation for Black excellence, Black resistance, Ken says. Just this essence that despite gentrification or crime, or whatever adversity that Harlem will experience, 
There's just always this sense that the people there will not just survive, but thrive. The tour's evidence ran from reminders of urgent, radical politics, to triumphant acts of artistry, to culinary evidence of the Great Migration. Ken relished his encounter with a red velvet cake. Signs of cultural perseverance abounded. Ken recalls meeting a book vendor, Mississippi-born, son of an English teacher, who had been forced to relocate several times for one reason or another. What made me hopeful is that he was still out there with those books, Ken says. It's just this continuing sense of purpose with Harlem. This podcast episode was produced by Clay Collins and Jing Nung Pong. You can find the full episode in today's daily or at csmonitor.com slash why we wrote this. Here's an excerpt featuring Ken. Harlem was for a lot of years farmland. And so Harlem had to be tilled. And in my discussions of Harlem, I've talked about those vendors being those modern day tillers. And in the case of the vine styles, the vine, you know, setting up on the corner there, that was the second, the third kind of location he had because it was being basically pushed down the street because of, you know, construction and, and different things like that. But what made me hopeful is that he was still out there with those books. And so it's just this continuing sense of purpose with Harlem. When winter grinds on, do as the Danes do. Rather than resist, embrace and savor the season. It's a counterintuitive lesson in slowing down and leaning into the state you're in. Picture this. You're wrapped in a blanket, your cozy wool socks keeping your toes toasty, a cup of tea warming your palms. Candlelight flickers against the cabin wall as rain patters against the window. This is the pinnacle of Hugga. The Danish concept rose to global consciousness when it made the shortlist for the Oxford Dictionary's 2016 Word of the Year. Its closest English relative is coziness, or warm and fuzzy feelings with hints of safety. Mike Viking, author of The Little Book of Hugga, and founder and CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen, has spent his professional life researching what makes people happy. In Denmark, Hugga is a major driver. Denmark is by no means a perfect utopia, Mr. Viking writes in the book, but I do believe Denmark can be a source of inspiration. Of course, Hugga is about more than cozy socks and fluffy blankets. It's about connecting to the moment. As Mr. Viking says, Scandinavian concepts like Hugga all place an importance on embracing the small pleasures which bring us happiness. The things which make life great. This story was reported by Samantha Liney Perfuss for The Monitor. Now, commentary from The Monitor's editorial board on urban art as city corrective. Recent drone shots high above Los Angeles have captured provocative images of a building that a movie director might someday find a way to monetize. The images show a long-abandoned 27-story skyscraper with much of its exterior covered in colorful graffiti. Is it beautifully crafted art or an eyesore left by vandals? Some photographers gave attention to it because they believe someone took an ugly building and made it pretty. Meanwhile, Los Angeles City Council member Kevin DeLeon said 
the city should not be an open canvas for any budding artists. Such creative placemaking, as public art is sometimes called, even if done illegally, is often allowed by cities. It comfortably coexists with art in museums. Finding a balance between the two has become essential in urban areas. Philadelphia, in particular, offers an example of how public art has grown in acceptance, especially when it uplifts neighborhoods. There is no shortage of good ideas and excellent practitioners already present and active in Philadelphia, addressing pressing concerns of safety, health, and education through creative placemaking, stated Andrew Zitzer, a professor in the Westfall College of Media Arts and Design at Drexel University. That's a wrap for the news. You can find the full-length versions of these stories in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. For more Monitor audio, including our serial podcasts, go to csmonitor.com podcasts. Thank you for joining us this week. We wish you all a wonderful weekend. On Monday, we'll come back with a story from Ken Macon about Robert Smalls, a man whose historical legacy echoes Harriet Tubman's, but is often overlooked. We'll also look at the challenges faced by Israeli women during the war. Finally, we're giving you a bonus read that connects with today's viewfinder image in the daily. A private company has landed a lunar spacecraft, marking America's first return to the moon since the Apollo program. It points to a long-anticipated era in moon exploration and development, and you can find the link at csmonitor.com daily. Today's Christian Science Spiritual Perspective contributor shares how we all have innate and unique worth as God's children, reflecting his beautiful and good nature. You can find the column in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. Want some spiritual inspiration as you prepare to meditate on or pray about the state of the world? The Daily Lift, a free weekday podcast, offers short, shareable takes on inspiring ideas. Listen at christianscience.com slash dailylift or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to give a quick thanks to our staff, including today's audio production team, Jeff Turton and Mackenzie McCarty. This podcast is produced by the Christian Science Monitor in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Copyright 2024.